Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. I love this. Oh, I just love making these shows with you and for you. And now today on the show, one of my favorite novelists of all time. Same for many of you. You know, on our AFD Weekend Review emails on Fridays that we send, we told y'all that Karen Kingsbury would be on today. And we got so many people we say, send us questions back. And everybody was like, I don't have a question. I just love Karen Kingsbury. Or I don't have a question. I just love her books and her characters and the Baxters. And and I love Karen too. I've gotten to know her a little bit over the last few years as we all live here in Nashville. And her daughter, Kelsey, and son-in-law Kyle and I were on a tour together, the Girls of Grace tour with the Point of Grace girls a couple of years ago. And I just adore them. Karen is on today. We're talking about her new novel novel that continues the Baxter family tradition called Truly Madly Deeply. And friends, just want to give you the heads up that in the new novel, Truly Madly Deeply, that Karen and I talk about, one of the main characters is a policeman. And so we spend some time talking about that career, about Karen's experience, uh, learning about police work, uh, her own personal experience with policemen as a mom, and kind of some thoughts around police work in 2020. So it may be one of those times that before you and your kids all listen together, hi, mini BFFs, uh, that you maybe want to listen first. And whether you agree or disagree, you may just want to have that information in your head before your kids listen along so that you can have the conversation you want to have after you listen. So here's my conversation with novelist, number one, New York Times bestselling author, and my friend, Karen Kingsbury. Thank you so much for making time to do this today. Oh, this is so fun. I'm so glad to join you today, Annie. Thank you for um, dealing with this as we figured out. I also am quarantined at home again for a couple of days. And so I haven't recorded on my home studio in a while. So that could be on me as well. Are you are you talking at all about being sick? Have you Were you sick before? Yeah, I actually am just recovered from COVID. So I did. Yeah. I did a lot of Facebook Live about it and I'm happy to talk about it. Yes. So tell me how it was. What was surprising about it? What was, I mean, was it scary? What were your feelings? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't have, I never thought I would get it because we've been doing a really good job with all the kind of vitamin protocol and taking, you know, we take 10,000 IUs of the vitamin D, which, you know, you should, everyone should at least be taking 5,000. And I'm not a doctor, but that is the truth. So we've been doing all that, and I really thought, you know, I wouldn't we I wouldn't get it. I went to San Antonio for a Women of Joy event, and uh, on the plane on the way there, they didn't do any temperature checks, which didn't startle me or anything. I really wasn't afraid of it, but uh, there was a guy on the plane coughing so hard. I've never seen anyone cough like this. I mean, he coughed the whole entire flight, and he was two seats in front of me on the same, like, window side. And I have to think that's what happened is I just, you know, I'd have my mask on, drink water or whatever, and I would just was breathing in his coughing, apparently. And uh, so anyway, just like five days later, I was finishing up some video shoot that we did that day for my virtual conference coming up. And all of a sudden, people had left the house and the day was over at four o'clock. And I went, oh, my goodness, I'm so tired what is wrong with me? I was like, never get tired in the middle of the day. And I kind of like put my head down on the table. We were debriefing. Me and my sister were sitting there chatting. And all of a sudden I got up and laid down on the couch. And she was like, oh, I guess that's my sign to leave. <laughs> You're tired. And never even occurred to me that I'm going to make COVID. But in the next um, day or two, I got just super achy. I couldn't stay awake. 
Annie. I mean, I was like, so I was so tired. And um, then on the third day, we had so much going on with my book release that I thought I better go get tested so I don't expose anyone just in case. And sure enough, positive. Gosh, I mean, that sounds like it came on so quickly. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, sometimes we in the past like six months, we've had people coming and going from our house and we kind of have been sort of a I don't know, a rec center in some ways for the young adults, <laughs> like people coming over and having fun. And I'm like, okay, I meet them at the door with a, a bottle of vitamin D. I'm like, if you're not on vitamin D, you got to take vitamin D. But, um, but we've all been really just fine. And, and one time there was a girl who, who did come down with it and she had been at the house not feeling well. And I was kind of like, hey, you know, note to self, you're, you know, we're in a pandemic, so don't come over. If you're not <laughs> right. it. Like that's not even like, don't do that. We all didn't get it from her. But then on this particular situation, like I can tell you, I had a full work day. It was four o'clock in the afternoon and it hit me literally like a truck, like out of nowhere. Suddenly I'm like putting my head down on the table. I just, my God, it was like a switch. Like, you know, someone just flipped a switch and now I was just sick. And my sister who had been sitting with me at the table, she got it. Now, everyone else who had been in the house that day, no one got it. Yeah. But my sister sitting with me when I got tired. So as soon as those symptoms hit, she was beside me. She got it. And then she gave it to my mom. She lives with my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom just t- turned a young 79. So it was like, ah, oh, you know, this is right. not ideal. But all of us have been taking vitamins in this vitamin protocol we've been reading about. Um, you can find it, but it's not like everyone knows about it like they should. Yeah. So- okay. And you just feel like the vitamins have made such a difference. Huge difference. I'm going to just say they are a gift from God that, you know, vitamin so D is like critical. We're all low on it. And then it turns out like the older you are and the darker your skin, the worse off you are with vitamin D. Mm. Uh, you know, so that's a really important thing to know. And uh, to me, like it doesn't matter what age you are, or what shade of skin color you have, you should be taking vitamin D because it prevents um, the complications of COVID and, and really the, st- the studies they've done on this. A hundred percent of the time. Now, again, I'm not a doctor, but a hundred percent of the time studies are saying if you're low on D and you get COVID, you're going to wind up in the hospital much more likely. Where oh, if wow. you're deficient in D, you really are. I mean, there's a hundred percent of the people who, who are hospitalized with COVID in the studies they've done, a hundred percent are deficient in D. My gracious. Yeah. So we can take it just like C or B or any of the others, but also vitamin D is the getting outside vitamin, right? It is the getting outside vitamin, but like even the like most naturopathic people I follow who are very, very well versed, have done all the studies, have, they're extremely, you know, aware of what's going on. They say, you know, it's just not enough. The sun is not enough. Oh, wow. Whatever you're getting in your multivitamin, the 400 or whatever that the government, you know, kind of has as the RDA, not enough. Wow. 5,000 I use a day. Uh, we take 10,000 in our family, but 5,000 a day will guarantee really, I mean, this is, I mean, even if you have the comorbidities, you're not, it's not going to go to your lungs. Like you're going to be, you're going to get, I mean, I've, I've had COVID. Like I slept for yeah. a week. I feel like I woke up out of a cave, but today is two weeks since I was uh, diagnosed. And so I'm, you know, way past the contagious and all that, all that, yeah. but, but I'm great. I feel great. Did you lose your sense of taste and smell? Smell. It was okay. the weirdest thing, Annie. I mean, I'm like, yeah. what is happening? You can't. I mean, like, I put a, like a very scented candle right under my nose. Like that would be, that could burn your nose, you know, like, uh-huh. and it, I couldn't smell it at all. <gasps> yeah. My, a friend of mine lost his sense of smell and taste. And I said, and, and I was afraid I had lost mine. And I was, and so I test, I texted him and I said, okay, what do you mean you lost it? He was like, I mean, literally nothing tastes like anything. 
Yeah. He was like, it's not that it smells weird or tastes weird. It's that it does not smell or taste. What yeah. a strange part of this virus. It is. And there's some really scary after things with a virus too. Like, you know, even if you get through the initial couple of weeks, like your heart, your lungs can have some damage. And again, these are things that can be prevented if you're on an adequate amount of the vitamin D. And you can get your blood tested pretty simply, like just a simple mm-hmm. blood test that will tell you what is your D level? And, you know, like if your D level is under 60, that's a concern. It doesn't okay. have to be over 100, but it needs to be in that nice sweet spot from 60 to 80-ish right around there in order for you to get a minor cold. Really, I mean, it's a minor cold. I had aches. I had a low fever. It never hit 100. You know, overall, I mean, it was a very mild thing. I think the tiredness, it was like mono. It was very, yeah. tiredness was the biggest thing. That is wild. Okay, so how long, when did y'all start vitamin D? Like, are y'all kind of naturopath people? And as soon as this started, your naturopath got you on certain things? Or what, did you start it later than that? No, earlier, actually. Um, a year ago, uh, probably maybe a year and a half now, someone said, you know, if you're taking D, well, one of the people I follow, it's like, you're not going to get the flu. You just won't. Like the, oh. that was our biggest concern. So yep. I started taking it. And sure enough, like Kelsey and Kyle, who are in their you know 20s, they're they're healthy and young and, and doing great. They got massively sick in uh, 2019 with the flu. And I moved in with them and helped them for a week. And I mean, I'm right in oh, their wow. stuff. Yeah. I did not get anything. And so I was already on it. But then once the um, pandemic hit, all, I mean, it, it did make news. There were times when it was on the, in the headlines, like vitamin D will yeah. prevent the com- you know, complications of COVID. But um, our whole family got on board then. And even Kelsey and Kyle with their little babies, they give them vitamin D drops. Like it's like one drop or something that gives them a preventative amount. And the kids are never sick. Like it yeah. really is. It's, it's really all that. Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about Kelsey and Kyle for a minute, because that's how you and I met was Kelsey and Kyle and I were on the same tour a few years ago. And their kids are so cute, Karen. Oh, they're so cute. I mean, and they're happy and they love Jesus and they have their little Bible verses. I mean, they're just like, (laughs) like, they're the smile in my day for sure. (laughs) Do they live really close to y'all? They do. They live about 15 minutes away. Oh, that's not bad. And they are in, you know, so they live like in Franklin, we're in Brentwood and uh, they are, they'll come over like when it's normal times, like when we haven't been in quarantine, Sure. Um, but even during the quarantine, like pandemic time, there'd be times when they would just be like, we're going to come over and spend the night at our beach house because we have a pool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got like two bedrooms set up upstairs where one has a crib and one has a little like the toddler beds for the other two. So like they can come and have a two bedroom suite here at the house and we just spend, you know, days swimming in the pool and we would just play games in the evening. So it's cooler now. So we're now we're moving on to fall activities. But um, but yeah, it's a blast. And they are just like, if we're not there, if we don't see them for like 36 hours, they get on FaceTime. And the boys are like, Remy, Papa, when are you coming over? <laughs> now, every Friday, we send an email to all of our friends that are like in my AFD weekend review email list. And we tell them who I'm interviewing the next week. And they get to ask questions. And so, uh, I mean, a bunch of the questions that came in for you, Karen, were people that so sweetly just like, how's Karen's family? And how are all the kids? And do they all live near to you? So, so what is that? How does y'all's family work now that all the kids are grown? Do you see, is everybody still in the area or how are y'all doing the empty nest grown kids thing? 
Well, you know, it's never easy, but the clock just keeps going. There's nothing you can yeah. do about it. You can't stop the train, right. you know, John Mayer said so famously. But two of our kids have moved out of state. Uh, Josh is married and lives with his family in Florida. And Sean lives in Atlanta, near, outside of Atlanta in Georgia. And so they're just, you know, they're, they're doing great. They're working hard. Um, I'm proud of them, how they're, they're providing for themselves and their families and doing great. But we definitely don't see them. You know, they're just, they're busy and have their lives. Yeah. Um, but everyone else, the other four live in the area. And uh, EJ and Austin, you know, just graduated from college and they still live at home. And they're working full time for another exciting thing we're doing called You Were Seen. I can talk about yeah. that later. So they're doing that. And then Tyler bought a house. He lives in the area and is just as creative as ever, you know, writing scripts and books and music and whatnot. And so he's doing great. But we, you know, the rest of us and then Kelsey and Kyle live close. So we get together a lot. Like we are all best friends. And, you know, we just got a new basketball hoop in the driveway. And I mean, it's just like old times out there. Everyone playing basketball and calling shots and just having so much fun together. You are doing a great job setting up the grandparent house as the cool place to be. Trying every single yeah. day. And got that right. Like, okay, now let's see here. Hoop. Yeah, that's great for today and for 10 years from now. You know? Right, right, right. One of our other friends who asked a question is also about to adopt. She and her husband are white and they're about to adopt multiracially. Okay. And she said, she just wanted to know how are some of the ways that your family, because three of your sons are from Haiti, right? Yes, that's right. Is that right? Yeah. And she said, what are some ways your family has incorporated and honored their culture and their traditions in your family? Well, you know, it, we we began the adoption journey in 2000, the year 2000, and we brought our boys home in 2001. And our intention at that time, we lived in the Northwest. We lived uh, not too far from Portland, Oregon. We were in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from what has now become the madness of Portland. Um, right. In Portland, there was a, uh, a Haitian community that spoke, you know, got together and had dinners and had very um, culturally, like, you know, the Haitian foods and the, the rices and things that they would have had, the, the bean sauces and things. And and they spoke in Creole when they got together. And they were a very, you know, beautiful, really educated community. I mean, there were doctors in the mix and different ones. And we thought, wow, this is like God himself could have only like put us in an area where we're so close to this beautiful community to keep yeah. cultural and, you know, traditional type things alive for these boys. Well, the boys were like five, six years old, right? And they're from Haiti. So they, we went like two or three times. They wanted nothing to do with it. Like they were so of the mindset at that time. And really, honestly, I haven't seen that ever change. Uh, And the mindset was like, we wanted to come to America. Like we honestly, they were too young to appreciate that past. And two, like, they were just like, like, it's almost like they had a fear when we were with those that group, like mm. take us back. Like we, we don't want to go oh, backwards. Wow. We want to go forwards. And even like things like at school, there would be a culture fair and everyone's supposed to talk about some aspect of their cultural history. You know, where did you, did your family come here from Sweden or did they come from Mexico or where did they come from? And I had, it's like pulling teeth to, to kind of, I mean, I had artifacts when I went to Haiti and spent several weeks there. Yeah. In the adoption process. I, I bought, pottery and I bought different kinds of foods. And I mean, I had, I, I was prepared to do that, but they honestly, it was, there's a thing, you know, when, on the island of, um, 
uh, this temple uh, where, where where you have actually where, where Haiti is and where Dominican Republic is. So the one I, the one island there. Okay. You have a right side, the right side of the island and the wrong side of the island. And if you're from Haiti, mm-hmm. they think that's the wrong side. And so they aren't proud right. of you from Haiti. Now that now today, I feel like that's changed. Like now, I, I'll see EJ. You know, I'll, I've, there's a company called Made in Haiti that will make hats and belts and things, and they're helping support ministries in Haiti. And I oh, wow. love that stuff now. They don't. They don't necessarily. I mean, they have no interest in wanting to go back. They don't. You know, they don't. There's not that. But they definitely are interested in. And in, in they're. I feel like because of our family, like building it up and building it up and building it up. I yeah. think they're, they're proud of their heritage now. But when they came here, there was like they didn't want to talk about Haiti at all. So it just mm. is interesting. You almost have to let the kids dictate because what we think is right and proper, it might not be the right and proper time for it. Right. That I mean, that's what I feel like I'm learning from you is is this is not forcing your children to have traditions from anywhere. Just let listening to them and letting them tell you adopted or natural children. Yeah. You, you know, you give them the opportunity and then and then they tell you what what feels right to them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even in our, you know, growing up, we raised the kids with lots of fun traditions. And as they yeah. get older and have their own families, like that's up to them which ones stick and which ones don't. And so, you know, you just celebrate that. I love that. Okay. Speaking of families, can we talk about the Baxters? <laughs> we just that. need to. <laughs> uh, your new book, Truly Madly Deeply, continues on with the family that all of us are feel like we know. I mean, that that's one of the questions someone asked that was actually one of my questions is, do you, this woman said, do you think your characters are real people? Because I have to admit, sometimes I wonder what Ashley is up to now or how Luke is doing. <laughs> I mean, that's what you've done with the Baxters is we feel like we know them. Do you feel like they're real sometimes? Oh my goodness. Yes, Annie. I feel like they are so real. I can, yeah. it's, like, if you ask me, like, what are they doing right now? Like, what is their day like? I could tell you. And that's yeah. Like I really like living with these fictitious people this long. I've almost just given myself a pass that I'm not crazy to think that they're <laughs> they're real. You know, that's right. What comes across. Right. So will you back us up for any of our friends who are listening that haven't read your novels yet? When did the Baxter family start? Like how have you been writing novels for 20 years? Yeah, well, I always look at Austin's age. He's 20. He just turned 23. So the okay. first novel was published like 23 years ago and not the Baxters. The first six books were not the Baxters. And then here's the thing that's really fascinating. It links in with the adoption story because when, yeah. I, I mean, you know, novelists, most novelists don't make enough money to make a living at it. Right. And I had, had six published books and they'd sold, you know, 10,000 copies each or something. And we didn't have enough money to be able to adopt, but we felt God leading us. And so we had a um, had, had found one child, Emmanuel Shans, so that's EJ. And we had, you know, we wanted in our hearts, we wanted to bring him home, but we couldn't afford it. So we put the down payment wow. down on the adoption process and said, Lord, it's a gift. It's an offering to you, but you're going to have to come up with the rest. Or you can oh, wow. use it for somebody else. If you're that, shut the door on it if it's not what you want us to do. Yeah. But right at that time, I had written the first um, Baxter book. It was called Redemption. So to start with the Baxters, it's the book Redemption. And um, we were heading into book two, which was called Remember. The first five books were all with the letter R. Yep. And all of a sudden, the Lord opened this floodgate of blessings of these books just flying off the shelves. And 
really literally within like, it felt like weeks. I mean, it was a couple months time. We could afford to not just adopt one, but to adopt three. So that will, the Baxters will forever be linked to God's very beautiful and very big yes to our adoption quest. So that's kind of when it all sort of started. And you know, the kind of, we, I never intended it. For, I mean, Annie, I never thought it would go to this many books in my wildest mind. Oh, three generations of Baxters you've written about now, right? Totally. Absolutely. And, and even had the chance at different times, like in the last, um, you know, my last like dozen books, several of them have been, I would call them standalone books that, yep. but that involved the Baxters. Like uh, we got to do a flashback called Love Story. That was about John and Elizabeth's original love story and how that played yeah. out kind of did it told in flashbacks and then of course the the kids and then the sixth child that no one knew about and then you know that was Dane and then like having all these kids now that are having their kids and even you know starting to get married so even like almost like four generations it's amazing uh, I can kind of look at the cast of characters and I can go hmm, like for truly madly deeply my upcoming of this new book that's out in a week I looked at at the you know uh, Reagan and Luke. So Luke and Ray, Luke's the only was the only boy for a long time before Dane yeah. came into the picture. And so Luke and Reagan had their trials and their troubles were around 9-11. Yep. Um, her dad was killed in the Twin Towers and they had been caught in a moment of weakness that, you know, so she misses his last phone call. And now, you know, they have this little boy, Tommy. And so now Tommy has grown up. He's 18 and he's in love for the first time. And he goes back to visit the 9-11 memorial and decides, no, he does not want to be a doctor or a lawyer like his dad and grandfather on his um, you know, dad's side, but he yep. wants to be a police officer. And that's kind of the premise in the beginning of Truly Madly Deeply. Hey, friends, just taking a short break from this conversation with Karen to give a shout out to our amazing partners at Liquid IV. Y'all, you've heard me talk about Liquid IV and their awesome hydration multiplier before. We can't get enough of them around our office. Sometimes friends stop by and we think they're like coming to say hi to us. And really, they're just here to raid our stash of Liquid IV. I'm looking at you, Jen. I know why you come by the office. Liquid IV recently launched their newest line, an energy multiplier. If you're struggling with any fatigue fatigue, (laughs) this stuff is for you. Half of Americans say that they deal with daily fatigue, decreased focus, or a lack of motivation. Liquid IV's energy multiplier is the perfect answer to those struggles. It's an all-natural alternative to processed energy drinks with about 100 milligrams of clean caffeine that gives you sustained energy throughout the day. As we start to get fewer daylight hours this fall and winter, it can be a little demotivating and I wanna be sure I'm still energized and focused for the work I get to do. Liquid IV's energy multiplier helps me do just that. I just have to make sure to use it mid-morning so it doesn't affect my nighttime sleep. It tastes delicious and it gives me the lasting boost I need to feel good all day. And best of all, no middle of the afternoon crash, which I am grateful for. Now, as if great tasting hydration and energy wasn't enough, Liquid IV is also on a mission to change the world. They're donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. That's 3.7 million servings given to hospitals, first responders, food banks, y'all, veterans, active military. I just love it. Liquid IV is available nationwide at your Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code that sounds fun at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code that sounds fun at liquidiv.com. Start fueling your adventures today at liquidiv.com, promo code that sounds fun. And now back to our conversation with Karen Kingsbury. Now, do you have, let me tell you what I picture. 
I picture you have a room in your basement or a room in your office that has these notes all over the walls about this whole family, like in the movie, A Beautiful Mind. <laughs> like, how do you keep up with all these characters across all these books and all these years? Well, you know, that's where they come across real. So now just imagine your extended family, Annie, like imagine cousins and, you know, aunts, uncles, whoever, whoever's in that extended family and you picture them and it's not hard to keep track of them at all. Like they're You're exactly so right. You know, so that's that's how it is. So I do have that beautiful room, but it's in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that you're exactly right that that I wouldn't have to do that for my family. You're right. So you don't have to do that for the Baxters. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I um I remember that first series of our books that start with our four of us went on spring break when I was my first year teaching school. So 2000 and I don't know, three, maybe mm. three or four. And we took all of your books that we could find. And we just passed them around for the whole week of spring break. (laughs) And we read all of them. I mean, they were, they're just amazing. When, when you thought up the Baxters, I I would imagine some of our friends listening or want to be novel writers or have a story in their head. What was your first move? Could you see the movie in your head? Could you like see the action or did you see the characters? How did it all start? You know, it's funny. It all really started from, I don't know if you remember Gary Smalley. So he was a relationship. Yeah. yeah. So, and he's passed away several years ago, but just a man of God and a great family guy. And he was a teacher on relationships. And he was one of my first five readers, apparently. <laughs> so wow. um, he got a hold of one of those early books and he was on a plane and, and he was traveling to an event with his sons and just like crying. Like his sons are like, dad, like people are starting to look like, why are you <laughs> And he was like, I love this author. I love these books. They're just so great. So he contacted me. Like he had his agent or whatever contact me through mine. And he said, can you and your family, would you come out and visit us in Missouri? So we did. We got on a plane. We went out to go visit Gary Smalley and Norma, his wife. And Were you like, what is happening? I was. I was like, (laughs) I knew who he was. I was like, this is a huge deal. Like what in the world? And so, you know, he, he had us come out, he took us out on their lake. And like, it was just, you know, very, it was all just a very surreal time. And then he said, look, I want you to write, I want to work with you to write a series of books that illustrate my relationship teachings. That's what I want. You, I, and I wow. want it to get to where your books are so big that no one even remembers me, but that they're all reading you. Isn't that sweet? Oh my gosh. How generous. It was so kind. And so, and I was like, not also very laughable at that time. It was like, that's never going to happen. But anyway, he, you know, he really is not the person who does any of, of the writing kind of thing at, you know, at the time and, and in his life, he was always the speaker. He was always the teacher. And so I just, I I asked God for that. And I, on the flight home from Missouri, the Lord downloaded like a movie, but like, like even faster than a movie, all of the Baxters, their name, (gasps) what they do for a living, the storylines to come. And my heart was so full and I was writing as fast as I could, just like a broad general outline. And all I expected it to be was the first five books at that point. Okay. In fact, oh my gosh, but all you, oh, because one goes with each love language. Yes, that's exactly okay. it. And so it was just like, okay, so like love is a decision was like the first one. Like those, so we kind of had, and I you know that, and even like I would write the note at the back that was like a note from Gary because he would tell me what he wanted me to sure. put in that. I would sure. write that part too. So, you know, it's great. Like as the book started to take off, Gary kind of just stepped back and he was like, um, you know, this is your thing now. Like I can't have any propriety over this. And that was just like the heart of who Gary Smalley was and, right. and the impact he made. Just such a gracious man 
man. And uh, yeah, so, you know, after the first five books with the R's and moved on to the Firstborn series. So I that's the kind of where the pivot was, was um, the idea of Dane. And and you know what, Annie, that is a great story. I have to share that story with you. Yes, so, please. Um, yeah, we. I was at a soccer game. Now the boys, and we, we raised them really for 13 years. It was the Northwest. So it was a lot of rain and a lot of soccer. And we, you know, the, so this particular day, I feel like it had just rained and like we had our little lawn chairs off and we we're watching the boys play soccer. And this woman, a few seats down on the grassy field, I hear her and she's like maybe in her 70s and she's talking to her friend. And she's watching her grandson play. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I just wish there was a time when we could all watch Joey play, my whole family. Yeah. And her friend says, oh, what do you mean? And, and she says, well, have I not told you our story? She said, my husband and I, we got pregnant out of wedlock back in the day. And back then they sent you away and they had you have that baby and give the baby up. And you never got to look back. You never got to, there was no way to keep any kind of connection. Or, and I've looked and I've tried, but... I can't find that baby. Oh and, uh, so we, you know, but one day would be so amazing if all of our family could be here and could see Joey play. Anyway, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's what happened to John and Elizabeth. They had yeah. a, got pregnant and she had a baby and she gave the baby up for adoption. And she had no choice. She was sent away. And now they have everything you could ever want, but they don't have this little boy. And the boy grew up and he grew up to be like a Brad Pitt, like a huge movie star, except that even though he has everything the world would think he could want, he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have the Baxters because his adopted family were missionaries and they were in Indonesia wow. and they were in a small plane and they got into a crash. And when he was 18, he was orphaned again. And what about this guy? What would happen to him if he could find the Baxters? All of that. Like it hasn't even been halftime at this game. Wow. And all of this is in my heart. So I went home. I, I, you know, the next morning I called my agent and I said, okay, these Baxters, there's more to the story. And now there's Dane Matthews and he's a movie star, but he can't find his family and he's desperate to find his birth parents. And it's John and Elizabeth. And so anyway, it it was like hilarious. He's like, slow down, take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I mean, I am at the very baby beginning of writing my first novel, Karen. And that that little moment of like, oh, that's what happens. I mean, I do have a sticky note hung on the wall and I just go and add, oh, she has brown hair. Oh, she, (laughs) I mean, these little details come to you all the time. Do you keep a notebook with you or do you tell your husband or what's your, when those moments come to you, like when you're writing Truly Madly Deeply, the new one that's coming out when you go, oh, well, that's where that character comes back in. How do you keep up with it? I do. I keep documents for sure. Like in my, uh, you know, on my laptop, I have documents where I keep these kinds of notes. And, but again, they're so real to me that it's almost like I, it's like, I don't need to write it down. I see it. It's like so clear. And with, um, you know, with Tommy Baxter, he's been just a great kid. And um, he's had, he was hilarious when he was younger. He was the one always getting into trouble. But uh, like little, like two, three, four, he was kind of yeah. me of my nephew, Jonathan, <laughs> everything Jonathan did, Tommy did. <laughs> so that made it easy and fun. But now he's 18 and he's super intelligent. Like he could do what he wants, whatever. He could go to whatever college he wants. And now yeah. he becomes just driven to be a police officer. His girlfriend, his sweet little girlfriend, Anna Lee, she's all for that. But Tommy's parents now, now his dad, Luke Baxter is like, okay, well, let's get you some ride alongs and let's yeah. see if it's something you really want to do. But his mom, Reagan, who of course lost her father in 9-11, right. the businessman at the top of the Twin Towers. Well, she's terrified at the thought. Now, and I, keep in mind, I wrote this book a year ago when uh-huh. 
the police were at hero status as they well should be. You know, they were they were where they should sure. be. But since yeah. then, I mean, as if all police are somehow corrupt, the, you know, and I think it is mm-hmm. a lot. It's a few loud voices that have really worked to change the narrative for police. But, you know, God alone could know that I would have a book that really honors police coming yeah. out of this time. And I, I think it is for such a time as this that he gave it to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's been one of the challenging things with the podcast, and my friends listening have heard me say this, that we have been able to have some voices on the show talk about their experience with policemen, but I haven't been able to find police that are available to come on the show. And I'm like, man, I love good policemen are so good. Yeah. And they're, I'm so grateful. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for people to read Truly Madly deeply for that as well, to, yeah. to hear the um, hero side. Yeah, to see that side. And here's the thing, like, I've never had a chance to tell our police story, you know, and so this is great. I'm going to share it with you, Annie, you know, having three kids that are white and three kids that are black and raising all of them and teaching all of them to drive and going through the teenage and the college years with all of them. What is our experience? Well, it's really interesting. So we, we raised our kids to respect the police. Uh, My cousin's a police officer, Donald. My husband has a cousin who's a police officer in LA. And so we raised them. It wasn't like a question. It was like, of course. I mean, you know, if you get pulled over, I mean, you just do what they say and you're polite. And so our kids didn't grow up afraid of police. And that's a big cultural difference that if you truly are afraid, you're going to pass your truly honest fears on to somebody who, you know, your children. And we didn't have any fear, so we didn't pass any fear along. So Mm. one story that goes with this is, okay, so Sean and Josh, um, two of our, our Haitian born kids were coming back from camp Canacuc. They had now that we had uh-huh. connected with Smallies, now we were aware of this camp, this Christian camp. And so our boys went to go work at it. And they'd had a great time. Now they're coming home. It's like two in the morning. They're driving not far from Ferguson, Missouri, coming home. And they're driving one of our, you know, we had we had uh, we're very blessed to have like several safe cars that really, you know, we leased the cars so the kids would have safe cars to drive and they sure. were expensive cars. And so Josh is driving along and Sean had warned him, like put your autopilot on like you don't, you can go fast on these roads. Yeah. Want to do that. Well, Josh accidentally gets up to like the nineties. He's like driving 90 something on the freeway. By the time he saw the police, his first thought, you know, this again, two in the morning, middle of nowhere, he sees the sirens. You see, you know, obviously at that hour, there's no way the officer knows what color the person at the wheel is. You just see somebody speeding flips. No. So he flips on the light and, and Josh thinks, Oh my goodness, I'm in the way of this poor police officer. <laughs> I got to get out of the way. This guy's trying to get somewhere. <laughs> so he goes, gets it up to 104. 104. Oh my gosh, just to get out of the police way. Of before, you know, to, oh. to be a good citizen and get out of his way. So then he, oh, whoops, you know, it's me. So he pulls over and the officer, white officer, comes up to the car. Hi, you know, you're going 104. Well, in Missouri, over 90 is, you can, it's an arrestable offense. Oh, wow. Over 90. So the officer was 100% within his right to arrest both of them and take them in and sort out the details later. Again, middle of the night. This is like, you know, and, and Josh was just very polite. He wasn't afraid. He, he's answered the questions honestly. And the officer said, well, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to, I'm going to mark it as an 89. I'm going to take it down. Wow. So yeah. it doesn't become a big deal on your record. There is a, there's a driver's training school, kind of not training, but you know, the, the kind of school you can go to to get this off yeah. your record. Yep. He gave him that information, went way above and beyond what he needed to, and then, you know, bid Josh a farewell. And and that was that. Like, and he got to go to that class. He did have to go back to Missouri to do it, but he did. Yeah. And he his record. And 
you know, so again, the narrative in our family shows this like, hey, they weren't raised to be afraid. And when they even do kind of the normal stupid things that kids tend to do, you know, along the way, even accidentally, that um, we've had nothing but great stories to tell. On the other hand, Austin, one of our natural born kids, was headed to Liberty back to school. We were all caravanning. So you have, you know, Sean and Josh are in one car. We have EJ with us in our car, you know, and Austin is with his friend, his, his friend from school. They're going back to college. Yeah. So, and, and his car is packed to the gills. This is like fall. So he's heading back to school and, you know, his car is just full of all kinds of, you know, looks like trash really, but it's his clothes and his like, you know, waste paper basket, whatever. So he pulls off at an exit. We tell him by, you know, we're all texting like, hey, see if you can find a place where we're going to stop and stretch our legs or whatever. So Austin's in the lead. He gets off at this dead off ramp. Who knew? It was the wrong off ramp, but he gets off and, the, uh, you know, Sean and Josh get off following him. Yeah. But they realize, oh, there's nothing here. And so they take a side road and they're going to take like a frontage road to get back on the freeway. Austin doesn't know what they're doing. He pulls into this abandoned gas station parking lot. No sooner does he stop there when a police officer comes up, white police officer comes up to him. And I only tell you that for the sake of the story. He comes up to Austin and he, he kind of gives him a shady look and he goes, who are you meeting here? Oh, Austin's wow. like, oh, no, sir. I'm just waiting for my brothers to turn around. This is a drug dealing stop. And you know that this is where all the drug deals go down. You're obviously waiting for a connection here. You need to be honest and tell me or I'm going to search your whole car. Oh, wow. <laughs> And so it, this goes on for 35, 40 minutes because Austin oh calling the boys going, no, really, sir, I, I promise you, you know, my brothers. And so he had Sean, you know, in his phone was Sean yeah. the Haitian. Sean had put his in like that, Sean the Haitian. Uh-huh. So who? let me see, you know, who you're calling. And so he's calling Sean the Haitian. The police right, officer. right. You believe that Sean the Haitian is your brother. Right. <laughs> you know? it, didn't, it didn't look great. Yeah. Finally gets the boys to come back. He won't let Austin go until the brothers come back. So they come back and they don't, this officer doesn't even talk to them. Doesn't say a word to them. Doesn't have many, just waves at him and smiles. They are fine. They go on and finally he lets Austin go. And there was no ticket or anything, but it was definitely a suspicion, a profiling of Austin looking like a college kid who, you know, had on a, just like, I think he had a UT tenant, you know, uh, t-shirt on. He's like, you have a UT t-shirt on, but you're going to Liberty. Like he just didn't believe anything Austin said. And Austin fit a profile. He fit the profile of some drug dealers in the area. And, um, you know, this officer was doing his due diligence to see if that was was going on. So our narrative is ironically exactly the opposite. And, um, and I just think it's just random. Like it could have been, it, you could run into a police officer who's having a bad day. And yes, not all of them, of course, are perfect. And, and some of them are jaded and, you know, are should, should have a break from police work probably. Mm-hmm. But when you see, when I look at our family, I just, it makes me long for a time when we could all teach our children to respect police officers and not to fear them. And we would all just, we would all just be thankful that we have someone policing the streets. Is that, I mean, is that one of the benefits of writing fiction is you get to write into stories like that that show a different experience than what a lot of people have personally experienced? Absolutely. And I, you know, I think, and it's funny, like we were talking to, um, you know, a friend of ours who happens to be a black guy 
And he was saying, I do, I do feel afraid. Like sometimes I feel like if I'm walking home from work, am I going to, he goes like one time I was walking home from work and a police officer pulled into a driveway in front of me on the sidewalk and said, you know, Hey, were you just in McDonald's harassing people? I said, no, sir. I was just walking home from work. (laughs) And he goes, okay, well, there was a guy in there with a backpack just like yours. And, you know, so if it wasn't you then, you know, okay, whatever. And he left. And and our friend was saying, I was like, wow, if I had, the friend was saying, if I had taken a wrong move or if I had you know, run or done something, I could have been killed. Like, who knows? And we said, except for here's the thing, you know, you didn't do that. And one thing with Truly Madly Deeply, it is a story about living faith over fear, for sure. Mm. Which is something we have to do now with coronavirus, with where the world is going, all of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we did tell our friend, like, hey, your story, your fears are legit. We're not saying your fear is legit. We're saying... Think it through about whether it's a right thing, whether who's who's making you want to live with that fear. Like, let's just call it out. Like the devil's the father of lies. He's the fear. Let's just let's just let that go. Let's maybe just shift that that narrative a little bit, like take a filter and put a different filter over the reality of what you're living. And it'll help you with your fears. Because I I mean, the fear, Like again, I'm not we were never going to try to say your fear isn't we respect that you have fear and it's real to you. But let's look and see if it's really warranted in in this case. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to tell you about another one of our partners, Third Love. We can probably all agree that there really is no substitute for comfort. Third Love knows that this is also true when it comes to your bra. With signature details like memory foam cups, straps that don't slip, and a scratch-free band, Third Love creates better bras that focus on what matters keeping you comfortable, no shortcuts, no substitutions. I love it when companies stand behind their products. That is a huge deal to me and Third Love does. If you order something from them and don't love it, you have 60 days to return it. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. And because they're dedicated to giving back, Third Love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need. So far, Third Love has donated over $20 million in bras. Isn't that awesome? Their team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. They're available to help you via chat or email. I love that little chat thing that comes up. They can answer any questions you may have. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for every woman. So right now they are offering my friends 10% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash sounds fun now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash sounds fun for 10% off today. And now back to finish our conversation with Karen. That really leads us to one of these questions from our friends on the other side listening, where she said, how is your personal spiritual growth and your walk with Jesus shown in your writing? So even knowing that the the enemy is the father of lies, how does how does your biblical knowledge play out in the redemption series? Well, it's it's kind of like always there. I really love the idea that in writing Christian fiction, you know, back in the day, I, I mean, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I thought Christian fiction would be like this sort of soft, you know, kind of palatable, like pre-digested sort of fiction that, mm-hmm. you know, didn't have any real hard storylines in it. And, and that is actually absolutely the opposite, because when I'm writing a book, I get to write about the physical story and the intellectual, and the emotional story, but I also get to write about the spiritual story. So whatever God yeah. is pouring into my heart from my time in the Word. So I started this morning reading two chapters in Romans, and then my husband and I are reading Second Samuel together. And that is just part of me. So it's not ever patched on. It's almost like 
I'm writing and I can hear the Holy Spirit say, you know, this is a great chance to be able to deal with this particular topic. And it just comes, it's just like woven like this beautiful tapestry straight into the story. Um, you know, Tommy's girlfriend, Anna Lee, in Truly Madly Deeply, she gets a diagnosis of cancer. Oh, wow. So his, his mother's dealing with just this out of control fear. And once again, her fears are valid, but also the numbers don't back up that you have to be terrified for your son to be a police officer. Yes, it's a very dangerous job and it's a very dangerous emotional job, emotionally. I mean, it's, it can change who you are because it's so sure. hard. But her fears, you know, are, are something she has to take to God at the end of the day. And then it's Tommy who has no fear about being an officer, but now his girlfriend's facing this terrible diagnosis and now fear takes over him too. So yeah. he has to learn how to walk in that as well. Yeah. So it's just us getting, I mean, it is the, it's probably some of the things I love most about scripture too. And that I love about how Jesus told stories is he, he showed an example of what he actually wanted to teach us. And that's what you're showing us. You've always shown us with these novels, but that's what you're showing us with this particular truly madly deeply is what it looks like to have faith over fear. Exactly. And for him, you know, for Tommy, I, I actually, of course, with the current cultural situation with the with a movement to defund police, that kind of thing, with that going on, I had to go through and do a final, I mean, last, very last minute chance to go through and do an edit on this oh, book sure. and make sure that I wasn't talking in absolutes. Like, it isn't mm. absolutely true that every single officer is, um, you know, a hero and perfectly suited to the job. And so, and I know that, obviously, I know that there are, are people who are corrupt in every line of work and police work lends itself to that because of the anger you would feel. If you ever want, I, I feel like every, I really do feel every high school student should have to watch an, a whole season of cops, to see, <laughs> you know, who you don't want to be and what uh -huh. you don't want to do and how hard it is to actually be an officer, to be, mm -hmm. you know, running on foot down an alley. And, you know, I mean, your life's on, on the line the whole time. And that would change you, especially if you don't, if you don't have faith. As an officer, you know, it can jade you right to the point of you losing yourself. I really think mm -hmm. that can happen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, the chance you know, with something like Truly Madly Deeply, it was a chance to be able to show some officers, um, you know, doing these beautiful things Tommy'd never seen and others having, an, you know, an attitude that were that made Tommy concerned. Yeah. So, you know, the balance of that, which was important, but also it really, again, you know, gave us it gave us a chance to be able to walk alongside these characters in their fear and in their extremely understandable fear um, and be able to see how does, how do you come out the other side stronger for having experienced fear and being able to really lean into what we read in Philippians four, do not be anxious about anything, mm -hmm. but in everything by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, make your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So that mindset coming right out of Philippians 4 um, is, is what we see grow our characters in Truly Madly Deeply. And uh, everyone wants to know, including me, when do we get to see the Baxters on TV? Is there a TV show coming and will they, will they start being in person? Will we have faces to put with stories we've known? I'm going to tell you a little, a little fun secret. Nobody knows. I haven't told my readers about this particular account yet because I'm waiting, you know, and, and honestly, right now we have three full seasons, 36 episodes are filmed, edited, ready <gasps> to go. 
Oh 36, God. right? That's like three. That's it's amazing. Like all, yeah. It's redemption, it's remember, and it's return. All three of those books are completely written. And I got to edit the scripts, Annie. So, oh, that's like, amazing. It's just exactly like the books. And it's so glorifying to Jesus. I'm, I'm beyond thankful. And we have done a really great job of real diverse casting. Yeah. Because that's important too, you know, that sure. like our pastor is, is black or our, you know, a friend coming through maybe that, you know, this is Hispanic, even um, Landon, you know, is a, uh, he's like a Dominican Republic sort of, mm. I don't know if he's a maybe half Dominican Republic. I'm not quite, he has several, I think he has a couple different ethnicities, but a very handsome guy with just a different shade of skin, you know, than what you would have maybe thought for Landon. But you quickly go, okay, yeah, this is the this is beautiful to see it yeah. like this. Anyway, so that's all shot and ready to go. But see, Roma had been saving. Roma Downey is, you know, she's from Touched by an Angel back in the yeah. day. She's the producer. And she had been hoping to start her own streaming service. Uh, she was saving the Baxters for that and getting the money Got from it. her partner, which is MGM Studios, where her husband works, um, yep. Mark Burnett. But that just did not pan out. You know, the, the streaming service world became just really crowded with, you know, Disney Plus and just everyone has a yep. streaming service. Yep. And she didn't have that kind of content, the bulk of content she would have needed to compete. So now she is actually taking the Baxters to market as we speak and having very important meetings with all the big streaming services and networks and whatnot. And we will know very soon, like... I would think within four weeks, we might have a big announcement about the Baxters. Oh, that makes me so happy. I can't wait because your Hallmark, because you have a couple of Hallmark movies that are already out. I just watched A Time to Dance. Mm. Oh, is that That's not Baxters, right? No, that's not. Yeah. That's okay. It's own thing. It's John and Abby Reynolds and he's a football coach and I have yes. a time to dance and a time to embrace. It was like a pair of books. Oh, um, good. There's a, so I can read a time to embrace. Does it come after a time to dance? Yes. Yeah. It's the, it's oh, the Karen. Sure. <laughs> I am buying that today. <laughs> I loved a time to dance. I mean, it just came on. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I knew we were going to be talking and it was coming on after my bedtime. And I was like, Annie, you've got to stay up like a good journalist <laughs> and watch Karen's oh, Hallmark it. movie. <laughs> I love it. This is so fun. It was no sacrifice. I loved it so much, but I'm so happy there's one that comes after a time to dance because I absolutely loved that was one of my favorite Hallmark ones I've seen in a while. I loved it. Is that fun having your books turned into movies and TV like that? It's so fun. Like, it, it is just amazing that we did two, a part one and part two on The Bridge. Yes. Christmas movie. And then there was uh, Maggie's Christmas Miracle. And what was really fun, of course, Tyler and I were the screenwriters on Maggie's Christmas Miracle. So that was really intimately close to our hearts. And then um, Tyler, my son, when I say Tyler, everyone may not know that's my son, Tyler, who writes, we screenwrite together. It's really important to have a partner when you screenwrite. And he's phenomenal at visual and like kind of the, the pacing of a story. And I'm do better with this kind of dialogue and characterization sure. of our strengths. But anyway, we got to go and watch those, all of those, we, um, to Canada where they were filmed and yep. watch them and be on set. And I had a cameo in uh in the bridge so that was super fun that's so fun and kelsey my daughter is an actress and she had a a small part in maggie's christmas miracle so it's just been really really fun but right now it's been all the baxters because i have seen episode one only episode one but i've been on set many times donald and i my husband and i got Mm -hmm. to be guests at carrie and ryan's wedding oh my gosh 
can you, I mean, that has got to be such a mix up for your brain that you created these people and now you're sitting at their wedding. Oh my goodness. It, it was so, it, my, my mind agrees with it real well. That's what's crazy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I have to keep reminding myself, you know, here and there, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and it's true, like even in conversation with friends at dinner or whatnot, you know, so, you know, I'll just like say something and it's not, it's like, I'm talking about a character. Like I'll say, yeah, "Yeah, I mean, you know, Carrie was thinking that the other day too. And, and my, my husband will give me like a kind of, now it's like a familiar look like Karen, she's not real. Like, (laughs) you're like, but now we're at her wedding. (laughs) I know. I know. Now she's very real. The thing I haven't gotten to do yet is I owe you such a big thank you. And I don't know if you remember this story, but when we met a couple of years ago, when Kelsey and I were on the same tour and Kyle was out with us too, I think. Yeah, I think so. You came up, we were just talking and we had just met and you asked me a couple of questions about work. And then you said, here's my one piece of advice. Let God be your PR person. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and for our friends listening, that's like public relations, the person who puts your book in front of the right people, who, who helps you get the right interviews and all the things. And you just said, let God do it, Annie. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about who gets these, who gets your work and where it goes. Just let God be your PR person. And Karen, that has... I mean, almost a decade later, that was probably 2013, 2012 or 2013. Uh, That travels with me everywhere. And so beautiful. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to to me (laughs) that day and and give me real wisdom that has that has shaped my career for the last, you know, seven years. Well, you know, it's so true because especially for anyone listening who just like you're wanting to be a novelist or you're wanting to have a podcast or something to this effect and write a book, I, you know, it's it's very you can get into the weeds of it with your publisher and you can feel like there's all these promises up front like, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And then it gets down to the actual release and it feels like it falls flat and like it isn't that. And you it just can, it, I had done that too many times where I just felt discouraged and, and like, okay, well, what do I need to do? My goodness, do I need to go, I need to hire an outside publicist or do I need, like you, all this of my mind spinning and, and the fretting and trying to figure how can I make it happen? Right. And God had just, before our, we had that conversation, he had just made that just abundantly clear. Karen, you can't make it happen. It yes. cannot, you're not going to do it no matter what. You can have the best publicist. It's not where the answer is. I'm your answer. I work for free. I love you more than anyone. <laughs> I gave you the gift to write. I'm available 24-7. So I was like, yeah, you're right. I can't beat that. So um, yeah. that was the, my, my, from that point on, it was like, he's, I've, I've moved him into other positions too. So he's the CEO. He's the marketing yeah. manager. <laughs> he's all of it. Yeah. That's when we pray together as a staff on Monday mornings, almost every week, I ask the Lord to give us the mind of Christ. I'm like, as we're doing our work this week, the scripture promises we can have the mind of Christ and he is creative and he is smart and he manages his time well. (laughs) All the things I want to be, Christ's mind can do. And so we just ask him to replace our minds with his every week. Amen. I love it. So thank you so much for that advice and, and for making time for this today. We have one more question. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we talk about? You know, the You Were Seen movement is something I would, you know, if people <gasps> yes, want to check yes, it yes. out. Yeah, it is just, 
it's one way that you can make a difference. So with all of the, you know, discord and hatred and just like, ah, you know, you just want to keep the news off and you don't want to think about it, but it's out there and God, you can't fix it. I can't fix it on a yeah. big scale, but one by one. So my, my premise on you were seen was, and this was before pandemic, before any of the craziness that's happened since I felt God saying, Karen, you need to start this movement. Your family needs to get in it. And so we had these family meetings. You were seen.com is the website. And what okay. it centers around is a pack of cards. You just get a pack of these you were seen cards. You carry them with you. It's a it's a new take on the old idea of a track. So the, the information yeah. is not on the card. What's on the card is just you were seen. And mm. go visit the website you were seen.com. So Ideally, you're giving out these cards to people you're meeting along the way, a cashier, barista, police officer, whoever you come across, a doctor, you know, that you just feel like, look, I want you to know, what is your name? Oh, my name is Bob. Bob, you were seen today. And what you do matters. I couldn't do what I do without you. And I don't know if you've heard this lately, but you are very important. And thank you for the work you do. And then you hand them the card, ideally with a tip paper clip to it, like a $10 bill, $5. This is your mission. This is the mission trip that you're saving up for. You live life on mission because all of your life you have lived to this one one minute intersection with this stranger. All of their life has led to the same intersection. And you have the chance to make an impact in that one minute. And these cards are doing that. We've had more than 150,000 cards go out of the office in the last couple of months. People are giving their – we're linked up with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, the BG. They have their plan for salvation. So we link to that. We link to their help links and they are giving us analytics that just dozens and dozens of people who are, you know, got a card and they're coming to the website and they're giving their life to Jesus. And we could not be happier. Two of our kids, EJ and Austin, are now working full time with you were seen. And it's just, it's just my heart. My heart isn't, I'm a heart uh, um, of an evangelist person. Mm -hmm. Even though Mm -hmm. I look like I might be an author, really, honestly, Annie, what matters to me is that people find the hope the freedom and the the salvation of Jesus Christ. Yes. I mean, and if we went into every one of our days thinking, whoever I run into today, the Lord has worked this out, that our whole lives led up to him being my cashier at the grocery store or her being my waitress or that being the policeman that pulled me over or that being the person I walked by at the store, you know, like if we lived like that and, and had those little cards, what a great, what a great reminder that nothing's an accident. That's right. And then you can live your life on mission. You can find deeper purpose. And a lot of people who are, you know, letting us know how the experience is going, having these cards, it's like they're finding purpose because this is our purpose. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And we aren't going to have, I mean, there's no way I can sit down and have a Bible study with my, with my waiter, Mm -hmm. but I can give him a card like this and a generous tip that he goes, what in the world? We, we had one delivery guy, Samson, UPS guy came to our house. Austin went out, gave him a uh, you were seen card, ten dollar tip. You know, thanked him, told him he what he did was so important. Next week he comes back and he tells us with tears in his eyes. He goes, "I went home. I went through that youwereseen.com website with my wife. We gave our lives to Jesus, and last Sunday we went to church for the first time." Wow. So you just never know, you know. You just never know. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, I can't wait for people to get truly, madly, deeply and a set of cards. Can we ask, we have one final question we love to ask because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what y'all do for fun. Okay. We are a so fun family. So we love to play games. We'll sit around the table and play. In fact, we had a funny moment the other day. My mom was playing games with us. 
um, before we all had, you know, got COVID. Sure. The question that came around was name your favorite country artist, like iconic. When I, when sure. you think of, like, who's the top country artist? And my mom said, drum roll, uh-huh. Matthew West. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I texted Matthew and I'm like, FYI, I mean, I know you have a lot of hats and like you're like the most incredible Christian singer and whatnot, but also my mom thinks you are the most like iconic country singer as yeah. well. So he owned that. He was like, okay. So we love, <laughs> we love to do that. We also play ping pong. We have a ping pong table downstairs. We'll do doubles ping pong. We have a trophy we pass around. So um, oh. we do a lot of laughing and a lot of game playing. I am a big fan of trophies for very small reasons like family <laughs> tournaments or having a good day or whatever. I just love, I love the idea of little trophies all the time because people love trophies. Yes. And it is a little trophy. A ping pong ball fits in the cup. So it's like a three inch tall trophy, but Hey, <laughs> uh, you know, we work hard to get that trophy. Oh, I would too. Karen, thanks for doing this today. You're such a good friend to me and such a great author. We are, we are really grateful to get to talk to you. Thank you, Annie. This has been a blast and we'll look forward to doing it again. We'll have to do it yes. again this time. I would love to. Ah, friends, don't you just love her? Yeah, I'm really grateful for her thoughts. I I can't tell you, honestly, her wisdom a couple of years ago about God's role in my job has, has shaped me. And I am just so, so grateful. And I cannot wait to dig into Truly Madly Deeply. And you guys, the TV show, are you dying? I know, I know. And if you haven't seen one of her Hallmark movies yet, you've got to go look and see when one's coming on so you can watch it, particularly the one that I loved, A Time to Dance. I just say, just watch it and tell me what you think. Her new novel, Truly Madly Deeply, comes out tomorrow. So be sure to grab a copy and make sure you follow Karen on Instagram and thank her for being on the show today. If you like the show, a couple of others that you might also enjoy are episode 133 with Charles Martin. Y'all, I know how you feel about Charles Martin, another favorite novelist of ours. And people are saying, Annie, Charles has a new book coming out. Is he coming back on the show? Duh, you guys. Absolutely duh. Of course he's coming back. And episode 152 is with Robin Jones Gunn, author of the Christy Miller series, which Christy was one of my best friends in middle school. So I loved that episode too. So if you love talking novels and you love hearing from novelists, episode 133 and 152 might be ones that you enjoy. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube. Annie F. Downs TSF is how you can find us there. I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. We'll see you back here on Thursday when we talk a little bit, a lot bit, about the election in the U.S. So we're going to do it, you guys. We're going to have a little conversation about the election. So we'll see you on Thursday. Thursday.